0: Good morning, Genesis Church. How are we today? You guys are surprisingly awake. I like that. I like that. Hello to those of you that are tuning in with us online today. If you're new or visiting, we're glad that you're here. If you're visiting today, you picked a great day to be with us in person because we have pancakes in the lobby, right? And that's our way of making up for a lost hour of sleep. And so, our gift to you is lots of carbs. So you can slip into a very deep nap later, later today, right? Um, if you are new or visiting, though, we want you to know we're in the middle of celebrating some really exciting things that God is doing in our church family. And uh, so you're in the middle of that. We're celebrating in lots of different ways. But one of the ways we're celebrating is we're giving away some of these Genesis hoodies, okay? Uh, this was a gift to our staff this last Christmas. And many of you have said, I want one of those. Where can I get one of those? Well, we're going to give six of them away, or I guess 12 of them away between our campuses. And so if you haven't signed up yet today, you can go to the info hub. You can sign up once a week. So go to the Info Hub and you're going to fill out a little card that looks like this, drop it in the little yellow bucket. Or if you're tuning in with us online, just look in the comments section. There should be a link down there that you can click and you can sign up that way. Or you can email us at info at to win one of those hoodies. But you might be wondering, well, what exactly are we celebrating? Well, two years ago, right before COVID hit, Our church family launched into an initiative that we're calling greater. And we said our goal was to raise seven and a half million dollars to accomplish three things. We wanted to make disciples. We wanted to reach our cities and we wanted to change the world. And when we talk about making disciples, we're talking about the thing that Jesus has called us to do. So this, this is with kids and students and adults and groups and worship environments. We want to make disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. So that's everything that takes place every day. When we talk about reaching our cities, we said specifically we wanted to use our current facilities as a way to bless our local community. And so there were two things that were gonna to have to happen. One, we felt like the Lord was calling us to relocate our Noblesville campus, and we wanted to make some renovations around here. And then when we talk about changing the world, we wanted to grow in this area of generosity outside of the four walls of Genesis Church. And so we are 23 months into this 24-month commitment. Our goal was $7.5 million. And in spite of a global pandemic and all the challenges that we faced as of January of this year, we're at $7 million So we're really, really, really close to $7.5 million. But let me tell you a few things that I just want to remind you of. A big part of this was to relocate our Noblesville campus. And when we started two years ago, we had $0 in a building fund. But as of today, two years later, we have $2.7 million set aside. And we're so we've got that money set aside for when the Lord opens up a door for us to move. And we've been using some of that money to make some renovations here. Last week, we handed out an annual report for last year. So if you're curious with how we spend and save and invest the money that's given you can find all of that right here these are available at the info hub or you can go to our website and you can check that information out there but today we want to celebrate with you specifically in this area of changing the world through generosity over the last 2 years Genesis Church we have been able to give away That's pretty phenomenal for a church our size. So it's okay for you to celebrate that, okay? You can, like, these are good things. We're celebrating these things. Now, when we celebrate, I want to remind you, we celebrate because we want to use those funds, those outreach funds to help people find their way back to God locally and around the world. So that $658,000, it's been given away to people like the Cooper House in Noblesville to help foster families. It's gone to Shepherd Community Center in Indianapolis. We've been able to bless missionaries and partners in Scotland, Myanmar, Ukraine, Albania, and in the Caribbean. And we've recently found ways to bless four local schools and the entire staff there. That's what those funds are going for. And so Genesis, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness and your partnership. Thank you for your continued generosity because we believe all of this. We want all of this to point people specifically to Jesus. And there's so much for us to celebrate. And so the celebration is going to continue this evening at our Noblesville campus at 630. We've got a night of worship. Now this is a family friendly event. There's no childcare, but bring your kiddos and we're going to worship together this evening, 630 at our Noblesville campus. And then at both of our campuses next Saturday from nine to 10, we're going to host a prayer walk. And what we're asking people to do is to show up on site we're going to pray together quickly here, and then we're going to go out into our communities. We're going to walk the streets. We're going to drive to specific locations, and we're going to pray for specific things and ask and pray for God to move in our community to, so people can find their way back to him through Jesus specifically. But I've also got some, some other exciting news to share with you today and it has to do with the situation going on in Ukraine. You may remember this, but we support a ministry in Ukraine called Last Bell, and Last Bell helps with people that are aging out of the foster care system. And part of our uh, Christmas offering in December was they asked for $10,000 to put a new roof on their facility. Well, given everything that's happening in Ukraine right now, we contacted them this week and said, look, you don't have to use that money for a roof. You use that money however you see fit for your organization and the people around you locally. So we wanted to free up those, those funds for them. But we've also, this last week, we were able to make a $20,000 gift to Convoy of Hope who has ministry boots on the ground in Poland, meeting the needs of Ukrainian refugees. And so here's why I'm telling you this. Do you understand what a blessing it is for us as a church family to have those funds set aside for outreach? And they're there, We could make a decision this week and say, this is the right thing for us to do. This is a way for us to have an impact across the world. And so Genesis, I just want to thank you. I hope that you're able to see how God is moving through our collective generosity together. And so I want to take a moment to pray and to thank God. But we also want to continue to pray for this situation in Ukraine. But we're going to pray for some really specific things. We're going to pray that God brings peace through the power of the name of Jesus. So that in the middle of all of this mess and madness, people would rise up and people would help people find Jesus. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we just we have sung songs this morning speaking of the power of your name. And so this morning, Jesus, we want to claim that power and we want to pray for the people of Ukraine. We pray that you would continue to empower them to stand strong. But I pray that you would give them courage and boldness. I pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world that they would share your name boldly in the midst of tragedy. And I don't want to just pray for the people of Ukraine. I want to pray for the the common citizens of Russia. I pray that Jesus, that your name would be made great in both of these places and all over the world. And we pray that you would move, that that, that revival would break out in spite of this. And it would be your people leading the way from overseas and from on the ground at the epicenter. Jesus, would you raise up your people to share your love in, in, in amazing ways? Would you put your people in leadership positions to fight against this evil, but not to pit Russians against Ukrainians? But would you move in such a way that people would find their way back to you, Jesus, specifically? We are so thankful that we're able to help in some small way. Would you multiply our financial gift in a way that we could never imagine so that mothers and children could be ministered to and that ultimately people would find their way back to you, Jesus. We love you. We ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to John chapter five, turn to John five. And this is, um, this is a question. You don't have to answer this question. I already know the answer to this question. How many of you were excited to lose an hour of sleep last night? last night. Nobody's going to raise their hand to that, right? But let me ask you this. How many of you are excited to know that we got a little more daylight coming this week, right? You can raise your hands on this one. That makes sense. How many of you are excited to know that the temperatures are going to get warm for good, right? Everybody's hand shot up on that one, right? Now, here's the thing. Daylight saving time kind of stinks because we lose an hour, but we know it's a reminder that spring is right around the corner. We know that there's benefits. We can hear the birds singing. We know that soon the brown grass will turn green and everything's going to be in bloom and it's all going to be worth it. But right now we're in this weird in-between phase where we're waiting and we're watching and we're hoping that the weather will make up its mind for good. We do the same thing every year, right? We wait and we watch and we hope. Well, today, as we jump into John chapter five, John is going to introduce us to a group of people, a specific group of people that gathered together in a very specific place and they were waiting and they were watching and they were hoping for something very specific. They weren't waiting for the change of the season. They were waiting for something life-changing to take place. And so let me just give you an overview of what we're going to see today. What we're going to see in John 5 is that Jesus is going to physically heal a man that was disabled. But in healing this man's physical disability, he is actually going to address a dangerous spiritual disability that threatens every single one of us. And so we need to know what it is so we can be on guard against it. So let's just jump in. John chapter 5, verse 1 sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now it's worth noting, if you went to Israel today, you could visit this place. Archaeologists have discovered it. In fact, I want to show you where it's at in the city of Israel. So here's a, an aerial shot. Here's the Temple Mount here. And here's the pool of Bethesda right down here. And here's a picture that our lead pastor, Paul Mumal, took when he was there a few years ago. So you can physically go to this place. And John describes this place as a pool that would have been surrounded by five covered colonnades or porches. And apparently it was a very popular place for a specific group of people to gather together. Look at verse three. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind and the lame the paralyzed. Now, I want you to take a moment and just capture a mental picture of what that must have looked like. John says, a great crowd of people that were physically disabled lying on the ground everywhere. It's not a place that I think that a lot of us would rush to go visit. It would have been a place of sadness and despair. And if you if you keep reading, John tells us why they gathered there. They were waiting and they were watching and they were hoping for something specific to happen. Look at verse 4. And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, if you're reading that in your Bible in your hands, you're probably thinking, verse 4 isn't in my Bible. Well, let me tell you why. It wasn't recorded in the earliest transcripts of John's gospel, but somewhere along the way, as it was being copied, someone added in a footnote as to why people would go to this place. And so some translations include it and others don't, but here's what we know. According to legend, people believed that an angel would come down and stir the waters of the pool. Apparently, it bubbled, and people would believe if I could get into the waters, I would be healed if you were the first one in. And I wish we had a really good explanation as to why and how and if anyone had ever been healed there, but we don't really know for sure. All we do know is that there's evidence to suggest that this pool had been dedicated to a pagan god of healing. And so, as you can imagine, it would be a very popular spot for people to gather and to congregate who wanted to be healed. And as strange as all of those details might sound to us, here's what really matters. John tells us Jesus went to this place, this place of hurting where people would wait and they would watch and they would hope for the chance to be healed. Let's keep reading verse five. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, my friend, Josh pointed something really interesting out this week. He found great comfort in knowing that of all the people that were there, Jesus saw this particular man. And I just, I want you to think about that. Of all the people that were there, Jesus saw him. And I think that means that Jesus sees all of us in whatever we're going through, whether we're really high or we're really low. Jesus saw this man and not only did he see him he made his way past everyone else there to get to this man. Now I don't know this but maybe the fact that we're told that he had been there for 38 years means he was the one that had been there longer than anyone else. I'm guessing he was much older than 38 years old and this had been his this had been his life. But here's the thing Jesus makes his way over to him and asks him a really awkward question. Hey I know you've been like this for a while. Do you want to get well? How does that question sit with you? If I were to ask you, hey, do you want that hour of sleep back last night? Do you want to throw something at me? You can only imagine, like, I would just picture this man being like, are you, are you serious right now? Of course, I'm, why, do you think I'm, why do you think I'm here? But I know Jesus well enough to know he's not being careless or hurtful or, or heartless. So what, why would Jesus ask this man this particular question? I just, I've come back to this over and over and over again. And you would expect the man to say, yes, of course, of course I want to be healed. But that's not what the man says. Look at verse seven. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me to get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So what's interesting, this man doesn't say yes, of course, but he just says, look, I don't have anybody to help me get healed. Now we talked about this a few weeks ago, but there's a pattern that we're seeing develop in the gospel of John. In John two, there was a wedding with no wine. Mary said they have no wine. In John 4, there's a Samaritan woman, and her issue was, in her words, I have no husband. And here, this man whose body is broken is saying, I have no one to help me. And what we've seen up to this point is Jesus is able to provide a solution to the problem, but it's so much more than that. He's not just solving problems for people. He is revealing his glory as God's promised Messiah, who would come into the world and heal everything that's been broken by the problem of sin. And for 38 years, this man's body had been broken. And so there he sat waiting and watching and hoping for someone to help him be healed. But Jesus knows he's got a bigger issue. His bigger issue is that this man had a misplaced hope. He had a misplaced hope. Look at what Jesus says in verse eight. Jesus said to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now, I don't think he said it like, get up. I think it was, hey, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And look at this. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. So Jesus gives this short, bold command and the guy doesn't argue and say, I don't think you understand. My legs don't work. This man takes Jesus at his word and everything in the story indicates they did not know each other. They had never met before. This guy had no clue who Jesus was, but for some reason he takes him at his word. He puts faith in him. He stands up and all of a sudden this man is healed, but he's not just healed. He picks up his mat. Now I want you to think about this. I just want you to get a visual of this. This is a yoga mat from my house that hasn't been used in a long time. So don't judge me. Okay. But this man, this is the scene. He's got this mat and he's walking around. Now for 38 years, this mat was this man's life. It held his place on the ground. It was in a lot of ways, it was his identity. It's everything he knew. He might've hated this mat, but this mat might've been the only physical possession that this man had. And now he's carrying it around. But here's the thing. This man carrying this mat around has everything to do with what's gonna happen in the rest of of the story. And this story is a fascinating example of how Jesus was somehow able to miraculously, through the power of God, heal someone. But it's also going to start a little bit of a fight with the religious leaders of the day. So I want to reread the story for you, verses 8 through 10. And look at what happens. Look at what John records for us. Then Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. Now you would expect John to say, and there was great celebration, and the man began dancing, and Jesus healed everyone else at the pool. It doesn't say that. In fact, if you keep reading, what you discover is Jesus just kind of slipped away and no one knew what had happened and the man didn't know who had healed him. But here's, here are the details that John does give us. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. Congratulations, you're healed. They said, it's the Sabbath. How dare you carry your mat? So the one detail that John gives us is this happened on the Sabbath. Now, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath, for centuries, Jews like Jesus observed the Sabbath as a a 24-hour period where you would rest from work and you would worship God. But over the centuries, the problem was the Jewish religious leaders took it upon themselves to develop several hundred of their own little rules of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath, And so everything, they use these rules to control people. They use these rules to judge people. And so when the religious leaders see this man, they don't celebrate. They're saying, how dare you carry your mat? Now, if you keep reading, the man apparently has a conversation with them and says, look, all I know is that the man that healed me, by the way, thanks for celebrating with me. The man that healed me told me it was okay to carry my mat. And apparently he's not familiar with your thou shalt not carry your mat rule. Maybe you should go talk to him about it. And so look at what happens. Verse 15, the man went away and told told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute Jesus. All of a sudden, things get difficult for Jesus and he's just doing good. He's releasing God's power on people. But don't miss this. This chapter begins with the healing of a physical disability, a miraculous healing of a physical disability, but now the whole focus of the chapter is going to shift to the spiritual disabilities of the religious leaders. They were blind to the things of God and they had hard hearts and their hard hearts are revealed in the fact that they refused to celebrate and be in awe of this man being healed. And instead they were just frustrated and angry that Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath. And so listen to Jesus's words to them. Jesus says in verse 17, in his defense, Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. This is the first time in John's gospel that we learn that the religious leaders all of a sudden had a plan to kill Jesus. By the way, one of God's big 10 was thou shalt not kill. But they were gonna look past that one because they had already made up their mind about Jesus. John continues, not only was Jesus breaking the Sabbath, But he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Now, there's two sides to this story. If someone claims to be equal with God, wouldn't you agree that that person needs to seek professional help ASAP? Like you would think, yeah, we need to get you to talk to somebody. But what if that person that claims to be equal with God is miraculously healing people? Don't you think it would be wise to not jump to conclusions and have them killed? Wouldn't it be wise to sit down and say, tell me, how are you doing that? Tell me about this God that you serve. But the religious leaders, they didn't ask any questions. They just said, we got to kill this guy. We got to take him out. And so Jesus is getting ready to call them out for being religious bigots and phonies. Look at what he says in verse 39 and 40. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, those are really strong words. But we need to pay attention to who spoke them and who he was speaking to. It's Jesus to the people that in his day would have looked like on the outside, they had everything together religiously. And I can't help but wonder how many of us might need to hear Jesus's warning today. Because isn't it easy for us to fool ourselves into thinking that the goal is to just look like you have it all together? to do all the church things, to listen to Christian music and to carry your Bible and to sing the songs and to serve and to give and all that stuff is good. But it's easy for that just to become a checklist for us because we just do that because that's that's what people do, right? And here's the problem. Just like the religious leaders, we can get so busy with spiritual activity, we actually miss who Jesus is and why he has come and what he has done for us. And in the, in the end, I think Jesus is warning these men and people like him, people like them, that they are no different and they are no better off than the people that were laying at the pool that were disabled and they were superstitiously waiting for something to happen for them to be healed. And so Jesus is warning them. And in doing so, he's highlighting something that I think all of us need to be aware of, He's highlighting the danger of a misplaced hope. And I think if we were honest, we all do this. Every one of us. Aren't we guilty of looking to our physical circumstances for hope? Even those of us, especially those of us that follow Jesus, we are so caught up in what's happening physically. So when things are good, life is good. When we're healthy, everything's good. But the moment the diagnosis comes or the moment something bad happens. We don't necessarily turn to God or trust in God. It's easy for us. And I'm, this is for me too. We take our eyes off of who God is. And I'm not saying that in judgment. It's just, it's kind of our, our nature, right? Or we can be like the religious leaders and we think, well, my hope is really in all this business, this activity that I do to make God happy. The problem with it is on the backside of it. If, if we were being really honest, we do all those things to say, well, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm better than, than these other people. That was the problem with the religious leaders, and it's not good. And so here's the the thing that John is highlighting and that Jesus is revealing. Hope in anything other than Jesus is no hope at all. Hope in anything other than Jesus is no hope at all. And John records this story so that we can see that Jesus has come to give us a whole new kind of hope. And he, Jesus hints at the hope that he came to bring when he healed this man. Now pay attention to this. Go back to verse eight. When Jesus heals the man, he says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Some translations say rise, pick up your mat and walk. Now N.T. Wright points out that the Greek word used here for get up or for rise is the same word that's used throughout the New Testament to refer to the resurrection of the dead. Now with that in mind, Pay attention to what Jesus says to the religious leaders, starting in verse 24. He says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Now, earlier, Jesus offended the religious leaders by claiming to be equal with God. But now he's building on that case saying, you don't understand. I have the power to move people from death to life. In the overriding theme of John's gospel, pay attention to the word believe. The word believe is used so frequently because the goal is that you would see and you would believe in who Jesus is. And so Jesus is giving the religious leaders an opportunity to investigate the facts for themselves so they can turn to Jesus and they can believe and they can have eternal life that he's offering. But by the way, did you notice that Jesus shifts this conversation away from a physical healing and he goes bigger. He points to the problem of life after death. Look at verse 25. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and is now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those that are spiritually dead will come to life. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. But pay attention to verse 28. Jesus says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Now, throughout this chapter, Jesus is confronting the dangers of a misplaced hope. And he's making it clear that faith in him isn't just the hope that we need. Jesus is making it abundantly clear that faith in him is the only hope that we have. And he does this by addressing the one thing that freaks all of us out the most, death. And what happens after we die? I want you to look back to verse 28. He says, a time is coming when everyone in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Now, this is not a trick question. What kind of people go into their graves? Dead people go into graves. So what Jesus is saying is that there's going to be a day just like with that man at the pool where I will say, rise, get up in all humanity, living and dead will rise and stand before me. Jesus says the dead that are in their graves will come out. And in Jesus's words, everyone that has placed their faith in him will rise to eternal life because of faith in Christ. And then he says, those who have refused him and rejected him will rise to eternal condemnation. Now, I don't, I don't say that to scare you or to threaten you. I'm highlighting it because these are Jesus's words. And you can either say, how dare he? Or you can look at the claims And Jesus proved that he had the power to make that claim as the son of God, and here's how he did it. He allowed the religious leaders to have what they had always planned. If you get to the end of the Gospel of John and all the Gospels, really, you discover that Jesus was arrested, he was beaten, and he was hung on a cross to die, and they took his dead body down, and they slid it in a tomb, and they sealed it shut, and the religious leaders celebrated because they thought our plan worked, he's dead. But what they hadn't planned on was that three days later, just as he had promised, he would rise from the dead. And the man that gave, that helped the man to walk, walked out of his own tomb, proving He proved that he didn't just have the power to heal people physically. He proved that he was God's promised Messiah that had come to restore creation back to the way it was supposed to be. When Jesus heals this man earlier, he is restoring his body to what it was meant to be. The power of the resurrection of Jesus is that prove that he has the power to conquer sin and death. And according to Jesus, there's power that he has to give to us so we can have eternal life in his name. And here's the good news. That power is available to every one of us that have placed our faith and our trust in him. And so I've been asking myself a question all week. How do you make this practical for people? Like this is really good to know for some of us, it's review, but here's, here's how I think you make it practical. If your faith is in Jesus, you don't have to fear death. He proved that he had the power over sin and death. And let's be honest, myself included, aren't we afraid of death? But Jesus says, there's so much more to this life than death. There's life after life after death. And I have the power to give that to you. And so if you wanna make this practical, live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. It is a living hope that you and I have that we get to broadcast with us everywhere we go. And in spite of what happens, and guys, bad things are gonna happen. But in spite of what happens, as followers of Jesus, we lay hope not to what happens right now, but our hope is in what's coming. And so we share that with people. And we live that out in such a way that people are like, I don't get it. But our hope extends beyond the now until later. But if you've never grabbed hold of that hope, there's a good reason that you're afraid because you haven't been forgiven of your sins. You haven't received what Jesus is offering here. And so if you've never taken Jesus up on this offer, I wanna invite you to do that today. It just begins by admitting that I have sinned against God, but I'm gonna trust in Jesus to pay for my sins. And I'm terrified of death, but Jesus, I trust that in your death, burial, and resurrection, you give life after death. You can embrace that hope today. And so we're gonna pray, but I wanna invite you to make this practical for you to live it out beyond today, but maybe you just need to come and find me after service so we can pray together and you can begin this new life with Jesus because he has given us a hope beyond the now that extends into eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, there's power in your name and you proved it. You proved it when you came to life after your death. You proved it when you made the resurrection a reality. So Holy Spirit, would you help us to celebrate the power of the resurrection? It's our hope for the future. It's our hope for now. So for those of us that follow you, would you help us to make this real and tangible in our life so we can share it with the world around it and it would be the message that we would broadcast. It's not us, it's you. But Holy Spirit, I pray for, for anyone that's listening. Anyone that has not made the decision to follow you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw them to Jesus. and all of their fear and all of their doubts, would you help them to investigate the facts and to respond just like this man did at the pool that they would trust and they would believe and they would receive your forgiveness. They would receive the peace that comes from knowing you. Jesus, we're so thankful for the way that you love us. We believe there's power in your name and so we pray in your name.